This is Fearless Beauties, a podcast dedicated to elevating voices of color in the beauty industry. We're talking to estheticians, skincare specialists, and business owners to uncover best skincare practices, tactical career tips, and ultimately, how we can create a better beauty industry together. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. This is the fourth episode of Fearless Beauties. In the past few episodes, we've talked about how new estheticians can get their start, and we've laid the foundation for better understanding of social justice in the beauty industry. Today, I want to put all that together and discuss how we as professionals can take action and make beauty more inclusive, from consultations to the products we use. I decided to bring in Taylor, my social media coordinator, to help me. Taylor interacts with new estheticians through our social media channel, and she's got great feedback from them. Thanks, Mary. It's so great to be back co-piloting the show with you. I am so excited for what this episode has in store. I think there are some common issues for people of color when they experience a service. The esthetician may not know how to do a good skin assessment. She may not know what to look for, what treatments to administer, or what questions to ask. And I know I definitely had that experience when I went in for my first facial. I agree. I've spoken with practitioners and they've been estheticians for years and they admit that they don't really understand skin of color and sometimes they've created more problems. They've created more hyperpigmentation, sometimes even burns and blistering with the treatments that they've performed. And that's because I think our industry is rooted in Eurocentric ideas of beauty, meaning blonde hair, blue eyes, and all that stems from, honestly, our not so proud part of our country's history colonialism, the slave trade, and the effort to eradicate indigenous tribes. British domination demanded European styles of dress, grooming, social culture, and values. Institutionalized racism then perpetuated ideals of beauty that are really characterized by white women, straight hair, blue eyes, and a thin nose. The perpetuation of shadism, valuing lighter skin, is huge in the BIPOC community. If you Google beautiful woman, you're going to find three women of color in the images of the first 100. That's really an improvement from two years ago when I did this, and there were no women of color in the first 100 images. I completely agree, Mary, and I never thought to Google beautiful woman and see what pops up, but it definitely doesn't surprise me that it was just recently women of color were recognized on Google as beautiful. With the Black Lives Matter movement picking up this year, there has been more positive recognition given to the BIPOC community. For instance, when I'm posting my YouTube videos, I make sure to include relevant tags. Tags help viewers find your video a lot easier and they boost your channel's SEO. So for instance, if I'm doing a day in the life where I'm showing my viewers what a normal day in my life is like, a lot of the tags would include day in the life or single working mom or day in the life with a toddler. And most recently, some of the higher ranking tags, which tells me what people are actually typing in YouTube search bar are black single mom or for my cleaning videos, it's clean with me black woman. And that honestly shocks me. But I saw it as a good thing because people are now more encouraged to support black entrepreneurs. And Mary, on the note of comfort, I remember that you had a really interesting conversation with Dia Fairley from Gorgeous Glow Aesthetics in Atlanta. I really did. All right, let's see what she has to say. It starts by listening. Yes. You don't have to listen to be somebody's friend, 
but you need to listen to someone to the point where they are comfortable coming with you or going to you, not just going to you because you're the only one open or you're the only one there. There's a certain level of trust when a client gets on your table and you have the dermaplane scalping, you have the, the microdermabrasion machine, whether it's the diamond tip or the uh, crystals, even when just cleansing their skin, there's a certain level of trust. So with just conversation, just a simple listening session to see what somebody else's culture is outside of yours would help you further understand. For instance, as an esthetician, because I actually had to learn this in school, a lot of African-American women, Black women, are finding out just now in 2020, you need sunscreen. And that's something so small, but it's something so big because the whole culture of that is we were never told to put on sunscreen. Right. Actually, sunscreen was never marketed to us. Why don't more estheticians take the time to listen to their clients of color about what their needs are? I'm not sure that it's specific to just clients of color. I think it could be problematic with all clients. I know when I was a young esthetician, I didn't ask a lot of questions. And as I matured, I began to ask more and more questions, understanding that the more information I gathered, the better my treatments were going to be. And if you don't get educated on skin of color, you ask even fewer questions. I love Dia's strategy of a listening session. It reminds me of what I was taught in my graduate studies. Learning how to be an effective mental health counselor, one of the first things we practiced was how to conduct a comfortable session with new clients, how to analyze their nonverbal cues, how to ask open-ended questions, allow clients to talk to get a better understanding of who they are. And one of the main points was actively listening and showing the client how much you cared about what they were saying, nodding, eye contact, leaning in to show them that they can trust you. Also, open-ended questions allow the therapist to get into the nitty-gritty of why the client is there and not just what the client lays out on the surface. And you get to know more about your client that way. And sometimes asking them uncomfortable questions brings out some deep and meaningful information. I believe these teachings are great strategies for estheticians, especially those who may not know how to treat clients of color. Because it is a new territory for both the SD and the client, and building a healthy SD client relationship, or what psychologists call a therapeutic relationship, is key to building a trusting and long lasting relationship. Well, I think Dia is spot on. I definitely do as well. And Dia mentioned trust. What are some ways to build trust with your clients? How important is trust in a client relationship? Trust is everything. I mean, you really have to work hard to build that trust in the beginning during the consultation, and then you build on it with each appointment. If you break that trust, if you mess up or promise more than you can deliver, you're going to really struggle in your relationship with the client 
and they'll probably move on. If you encounter something you're not familiar with, I think it's really ethical to say, I haven't had a lot of experience with this, but I'm going to research and get back with you on how to approach it. And then you really have to follow through. The research needs to be real research, not just hopping on Facebook. Yeah, and I definitely like how you mentioned ethics. One of the ethical principles of psychologists is competence. And within this principle, it says that psychologists can only provide services with populations within the boundaries of their competence. And if they do not experience or the professional knowledge of certain cultures, which is race, ethnicities, gender identities, etc., they must make an appropriate referral. And I believe that a client is more likely to trust your judgment if you say, hey, I do not have much experience working with black skin, Asian skin, etc., but I know someone who does. And would you mind if I refer you to them? Instead of guessing, it's best to get the education so when you do have a client who you first couldn't perform treatments on come into your spa, you now can treat them and know exactly what you're doing. And I believe this is how you build trust with prospective clients. When an SD is open and honest about their lack of know-how and shows their effort to seek the knowledge, it will attract clients of all backgrounds. Dia mentioned that Black women are just now finding out that they need sunscreen because it was never marketed to them. Is this because of the lack of education in the beauty industry or is there a larger issue at play? Well, of course, there's a larger issue at play. I mean, I think there is a lack of education and probably a larger issue, kind of the elephant in the room. But I don't really have your perspective as a black woman, Taylor, because in my world growing up in northern Minnesota, we didn't have sunscreen. There was still ice on the lake when I graduated from high school. My mother would spray me with DEET before I went out to play to keep the mosquitoes away. So what's your perspective as a black woman? Well, I also agree that it's due to a lack of education. And to be honest, I started wearing sunscreen on a daily basis just about four to five months ago when I gained the knowledge that black people can actually get skin cancer. I did not know it needed to be worn unless I went to the beach or the pool or I knew I was spending a significant amount of time outside. I had no idea it was a thing. And I did not grow up with people telling me to put sunscreen on my skin. I was most likely one of those people who thought black people did not need to wear sunscreen. So, yeah, I would say a lack of marketing for sure and education. But all in all, I agree about Dia's point about sunscreen. Let's listen to what she has to say. Yeah, she really brings up an unfortunate point. And look at tinted sunscreen. I think the darkest, and I'm light-skinned, I know that, but I'm still a black woman. And the darkest is about my complexion, and I'm like a macchiato frappe, caramel macchiato frappe, just to give the listener some type of complexion. I'm, I'm very brown, sugary, caramel-colored. So that's about the darkest color that you will see in a tinted sunscreen. It's not marketed to us, and it actually goes back to The notion that I don't know where this came from, that Black people, Black women have less nerve endings and they don't feel pain as much. So why would they feel the rays from the sun that would cause skin damage? Finding out later, yes, Black people, people of color can get skin cancer too. It's not at an alarming rate as non-PLC, but it happens nonetheless. But just something so small as that, having a conversation, 
with black people, black women, people of color, and realizing, hey, in this culture, something so small as putting on sunscreen when you go outside, when the sun is high, when it looks like it's about to rain because those UVB rays, UVA rays are still strong and they shine through the clouds, you need to put on something to protect your skin. And not just one time a day, the same way that you tell everybody else you need to reapply every two to three hours. Just by having that conversation, I think a non-person of color would realize, oh my gosh, we're so different. We're so very, very different because in my house, that's all I know. And my, my sunscreen is complete, just zinc, just to be protected. It was never marketed to us. So why would we know that? So finding out more so 2019, 2020, just me becoming an esthetician, hey, you need to wear sunscreen. For the, I call them my age group, my my sassy age group, for my uh, mature skin clients that I have, (laughs) you all need to be wearing sunscreen. Whether you're my complexion, whether you're darker, you need to be wearing sunscreen. It, it doesn't matter. Every piece of advice, every piece of skincare regimen, there will always end in sunscreen. Um, if you're not buying it from me, I will tell you the drugstore ones that I personally like, and it's only about two. Anything else, just put something on that will protect you. It, it starts with a simple conversation. But you have to be willing to listen. It's not just talking for the sake of talking. It's talking so that they can be heard and you can actually listen. When you don't know, you just don't know. Dia's story about the lack of tinted SPF options didn't surprise me. Oh, me either. Honestly, I expected that. It's just like when I started wearing foundations about 13 years ago, There were only three shades on the darker side of the spectrum, with mine being the darkest. And while Dia is explaining her skin color in Starbucks terms, I would say I am like a dark chocolate mocha. And the darkest shade of foundation at that time was my skin tone, just completely negating anyone darker than me. What other common misconceptions does the beauty industry have about skin of color, alongside not needing to wear sunscreen? The aesthetics industry believes that the Fitzpatrick scale, developed by a physician at Harvard University doing a study on the effects of UV radiation on white middle-aged men, is the gold standard for determining skin types. And the Fitzpatrick scale says a person who is a fit six never burns. Well, I think that's not true. They do burn because they burn. They're being exposed to UV radiation, but we don't see it because the skin tone is so dark. No one has really bothered to document how skin diseases and disorders present themselves differently in skin of color. No one has even really questioned it until about three years ago. A medical student from St. George University in London, his name is Malone Mukwendi, questioned, why are we only learning about skin conditions on white skin? The research and availability of photos and diagnostics on brown and black people was limited or even non-existent. So he and his professors developed a reference book, which is called Mind the Gap, and it's available for a free download from the university's website. I think Malone has done a great thing 
for the future generations. In the medical field, black men and women are not taken as seriously as white men and women when they say something is wrong with them, if they're feeling pain or discomfort. For instance, black women are twice as likely to die from giving birth than white women. And I recently read that African-American children are four times as likely to die when under the care of a Caucasian pediatrician. Most of the mortality is due to lack of knowledge, subsequently leading to pushing the concerns black and brown skin clients aside. I think that if medical professionals became more knowledgeable of clinical symptoms and signs presented on darker skin, their health would not be as compromised as much as it is today. Well, Taylor, I remember when we had a conversation about the lack of availability of products. Well, let's just say this. I cannot tell you how many times I have walked into stores and I would get home after buying makeup and it not be my exact shade or they just wouldn't have my shade at all. So I would either have to be lighter or darker than I actually would, <laughs> right? And I didn't find that fair. And being limited to product lines and being forced to purchase subquality products because what was quality didn't cater to my darker skin tone. I purchased my first foundation at 13. That's when I started experiencing acne. My mom took me to Walmart, and I kid you not, there were three shades featuring darker skin complexions what was close to my shade was the last shade in the product line and i am nowhere near the darker shade anywhere and that is a problem 13 years later unfortunately but with this with rihanna she has paved the way for inclusivity in makeup and another instance where i experienced being a black woman consumer in the beauty industry was i went and got a facial two years ago and when I went to get this facial done, now that I work in the beauty industry and I see the reality of the lack of inclusivity and how you, Mary, have forced professionals to realize that, I noticed that not one question on the consultation form asked me questions in relation to the color of my skin. The questions were very general, asking about my allergens and what I wanted to accomplish with my skin. There were no products being used or procedures being done based on me being a black woman. And the esthetician, she asked me no questions at all, just relied on the form. And I think that is why I never saw a change in my skin after that facial was done. Taylor, can you tell us a little bit more about what Rihanna did to pave the way for greater inclusivity in makeup? For one, Rihanna knows what she's doing. She has a strong voice. And honestly, she is one of my favorite entertainers. When she came out with Fenty Beauty, I definitely had almost all of her products. And that is because I trusted what she put out. I believe she used her voice, her connections, and the trust that she knew she gained from hundreds of millions of people to produce something that was long overdue. She used her influence for good, and it did more than highlight the beauty industry. Rihanna's marketing was impeccable. She made dark-skinned women shine just as much as fair-skinned women. She worked equality, inclusivity really well. And honestly, makeup brands could not and still cannot keep up. Those brands who are relying on Eurocentric beauty ideals and refused to represent black and brown skin the right way were basically told to sit down. And Rihanna said, let me show you how it's done. 
And I think Rihanna succeeded in making every man and woman who wears makeup feel included. And even if you don't wear makeup, you know where to go when you do. I think lack of inclusivity also plays a part in the workforce with interactions with other estheticians. I think then teamwork and trust get degraded. Taylor, as a graduate student in psychology, what have you learned about how the lack of inclusivity affects young people? Well, that is a really great question, Mary, and it makes me ponder a bit. But what I have learned is that the lack of inclusivity can result in shame, confusion, or feelings of failure for young people. And for a while now, I have been focusing on the LGBTQ plus community in my graduate studies. It's honestly been something I have been so passionate about. LGBTQ plus youth experience minority stressors the most, I would assume because adolescence is such a pivotal developmental milestone for sexual identity. But all in all, the LGBTQ plus community, no matter the age, can experience some type of stigmatization. What I have learned is that academic institutions and workplaces have not systematically adapted programming to meet the objectives to care for sexual and gender minorities. And the reason why the LGBTQ plus community experiences so many stressors that go untreated is because their doctors, their therapists, etc. have not received comprehensive education, but mainly because healthcare providers have pre-existing biases that affect their professional diagnoses. Microaggressions such as anti-gay harassment and sexual stigma have led to lower levels of self-esteem, higher prevalence of depressive symptoms, suicidality, and substance abuse, whether that is alcohol or pills within the LGBTQ plus community. Also, internalized homophobia is extremely common and is due to a lack of inclusivity. It says that a LGBTQ plus individual does not accept or feels ashamed about who they are, which can also lead to depression, suicide, anxiety, substance use, and engagement in risky sexual behavior. Healthcare providers have reported not receiving the education and training needed to bring inclusive, culturally competent care for this community. Therefore, those working in healthcare must adopt self awareness by eliminating biases and assumptions leading to homo negativity and take the initiative in pursuing inclusive education. This is the only way young people can feel comfortable being their true and authentic selves, unapologetically, along with the love and acceptance of family and friends. And I can honestly talk about this for days. I have written so many papers on this topic, but maybe that can be safe for another podcast. Yeah, I think that, Taylor, you mentioned that your first facial didn't really include a consultation. And I think that that esthetician really missed an opportunity. She should have done a better job trying to connect with you. She should have asked questions about your skin, like after you cleanse, when does your skin feel oily again? Or how often do you experience breakouts? And are they connected to your menstrual cycle? When you break out, where do you break out? Is it pomade acne around your hairline from hair care products and headscarves? Or do you get perioral breakouts? She should have asked about your diet. Are you vegetarian? Do you consume a lot of soy? Because soy is an endocrine disruptor and it has plant estrogen. How much water do you drink? I mean, I can go on and on about the consultation, but I think consultations would be a great topic for an episode of its own. And I agree. Let's just add it to our list of topics. 
the first few pages of your book, actually, you discussed how when you were in school to become an esthetician, there was an underwhelming amount of information on how to treat black and brown skin. So after graduation, when black or brown skin client came to you for skin treatment, you were stumped, you know? The same thing goes for school. Only a small portion of black history was taught. Everything else we have to learn ourselves. So that's kind of how it feels to be a black woman, a consumer in the beauty industry. Well, how could the beauty industry better serve people of color, particularly black women? I would just say to get to know us understand our bodies and how our bodies operate in relation to our skin. For example, in your book, you talk about how constipation in Black women correlate to changes in our skin. I would have never learned that. And I think that it's important. This is your profession, right? Any esthetician, this is your profession. This is what you do and what you love. We are coming to you for help. So just like any other race would, we expect you to know about our skin and the best way to treat it, not administer a generalized treatment. Taylor, I think your story emphasizes how important it is to personalize each service. I think not only would you be better at meeting your client's expectations, but then you're creating a bond. And I think that is what is really going to build an esthetician's business, strengthening that business by recognizing the individuality of each person when they're in your treatment room. Yes, exactly. And the more I think about it, the more I compare estheticians to therapists, except that estes work on the skin and therapists or psychologists work on the mind. We are taught in grad school to never perform generalized treatments. I would assume that you would approach two African-American clients differently, although they are both African-American, because once you get to know what issues they're having with their skin and what they hope to see improvements in, yeah, there are some of the same techniques you may use, but it's going to be a different outcome based on their initial concerns. One can have acne issues and one can have no acne, but just wants their dark spots gone. And with psychology, I can have two clients who have been diagnosed with major depression, but approach them differently. I will get to know them. What is the origin of their depression? What are their triggers? Do they work best on an individual level or do they strive in group therapy? It's all about recognizing individuality, like you said. The common thread here is that in order for estheticians to build strong relationships with their clients of color, they need proper education and they need the right tools to understand how to treat them. Exactly. Like both Dee and I mentioned, it's about listening to your clients' unique experiences and challenges. Well, when I interviewed Noelle Schwarzkopf from You Matter Beauty, she summed it up perfectly. The main thing I get is because I do have a large black um, clientele, African, just everything, is I couldn't find anybody. I couldn't find anybody to come and work on my skin because I've gone to places in the past and they don't know how to work on my skin, so it messed it up. Or I've just been too scared or I literally cannot find anybody. So that is where it's like, okay, there has to be more of us. We're just not out and about. And then I think to myself, all of my clients are saying the exact same thing. Obviously, there's a problem here. So with my experience, I haven't ever really experienced any form of intense racism or anything like that. It's more so, how can I help this community? Because obviously, we are lacking 
if the majority of my clients are saying this. So it's like, okay, like, hmm. and the other thing that I've noticed being a black esthetician is like people just, a lot of people don't know, but even people of color, they still, they don't know basic things that you should be doing because they're still not even taught it. We're not taught it in cosmetology school, but then we look back to health class. You're not taught how to take care of your specific skin. You're not taught anything. So, and it's like so many people, oh, I should be wearing sunscreen. Of course you should be wearing sunscreen. But even our moms and our dads and back and forth or back and back and back still, well, we're black. We don't need it. So it's like, where does this, the problem starts a long time ago, but it's trying to educate everybody to it. Even though our skin is different, we, there's still basic things that we all need to be doing. And again, it's a very normal thing. Well, I've never done this. Or I've never done this. I've always used this because that's what my mom told me to do. That's what she did. And then we have the black don't crack, which to a certain extent is true. But even if you don't have wrinkles, doesn't mean that your skin is healthy. So it's just trying to kind of shift everybody's mind and get them to understand why we're doing what we're doing. And it's, it's just crazy to me that it's a problem that nobody really talks about. I think it's important to have a cultural understanding of where our clients are coming from, as well as a strong knowledge of skin anatomy and skin disorder commonalities. Understanding the generational lack of trust with authority, the dependence on homeopathic and natural modalities for treatment in Indigenous people or Latinx, just as an example, that could help you build a bridge with your clients who have that heritage. An example for understanding all aspects of body health and how it affects the skin could be demonstrated when we're treating black women. Black women have the highest incidence of uterine fibroids in the United States. Some research actually concluded that it could be due to the hair relaxers that they use commonly. The chemicals can be absorbed through the scalp, and those chemicals contain endocrine disruptors that affect uterine health. Fibroids form, and that pushes against the intestine. Then this causes constipation. So the purpose of our bowels is to move waste and toxin out of our bodies. But if uterine fibroids are pushing against the intestines, and that causes constipation, then those toxins get reabsorbed into our body, and toxin has to get excreted somewhere. So it moves to the skin, and it excretes itself in the form of back and shoulder acne. If you can use that knowledge in your consultation, asking your clients about their bowel habits gets to be a little personal, but it shows the connection of our body systems to our skin health. Wow. Um, Honestly, that is so relatable, Mary. My mom had fibroids growing up and her hair was relaxed for most of her life. And now that I remember, she also had back and shoulder acne. So I have got to tell her this information. And same for me. I just stopped putting relaxers in my hair about eight months ago just because I wanted to give my hair a break. But after hearing that, I'm glad I did. What is also relatable is how Noel said that the lack of knowledge goes back to how our moms and dads did not know we needed to wear sunscreen. So how would we know? Like I mentioned earlier, I did not grow up wearing sunscreen unless it was to the beach or the pool. Other than that, my parents never told me I needed it. It was just a lack of knowledge passed through generations. And how are we supposed to adopt something we know nothing about? Another example is Bob Marley. 
His father was white. His mother was black. The generational mindset would say that he had melanin in his skin from his mother's genetics, and that would protect him. But he also had his father's DNA, and he contracted melanoma, and he died from skin cancer. Noel talks about that generational lack of knowledge, and I think that's true. But I think that the mindset of the consumer is shifting as our cultural values shift. I know that when I first started in medical aesthetics, my mother would have been horrified to learn that I spent a great portion of my day removing pubic hair. Why? Because in her day, no one thought of bikini waxing, much less Brazilian waxing or even laser hair removal. And now with Brazilian waxing and laser hair removal popularity, we've made women feel self-conscious about that intimate exposure. It's created a whole new market for feminine rejuvenation. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think acknowledging the generational lack of knowledge gives future generations motivation to continue to include and educate themselves. When treating skin of color, I think that the past generations who were full of confusion on how to protect and treat skin of color are slowly becoming eliminated. And now when treating black and brown skin, there will be more confidence because that bridge of inclusivity is slowly being built. And not to tone down the mood, but I think black people learned how to read, write, cook, swim. And they also learned things about our bodies and from white people during slavery. It took a while for us to learn about ourselves from other black people, For instance, white people didn't think black people could burn. So that is what we thought. Therefore, that false information is what passed down. And Mary, you and so many others are teaching black people about their skin. So we can teach our children and they can teach their children. And that is how we will break that generational lack of knowledge. Throughout this episode, we've heard from myself and two incredible women of color who not only shared their stories, but helped us understand what we can be doing to create more inclusivity in the beauty industry. Mary, how can listeners learn more about how to help? I think skincare professionals could get more intentional in their consultations, try not to cookie cutter their treatments. They need to really dig in and get specific about making a connection and meeting their clients' needs. I think your referencing to mental health therapists and skincare therapists is really relatable. I think they need to work to develop that relationship of trust so they can have the opportunity to educate their clients on important things like skincare. I 100% agree, Mary. That was very well said. Taylor, I think today's conversations really reinforce the need for stronger consultations and being fully prepared when we get in the treatment room, being willing to dig a little bit deeper to understand our clients and where they're at. We need stronger education and we need to pass that knowledge on to our clients. And for me, today's conversations have really opened my eyes to how important the beauty industry is and the symbolism it plays in making our world a more inclusive place. Estheticians are more than skincare specialists, but they're therapists for your skin. It's more than just performing generic treatments, but really learning who your client is and what they need. And based on their needs, holding yourself accountable for getting that education to treat their skin and build trusting relationships. Thank you for listening to Fearless Beauties, a show dedicated to elevating voices of color in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. Until next time, keep educating yourself, remember to stay open, and be fearless in the pursuit of creating a better, more inclusive world. If you enjoyed today's episode, 
please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Special thanks to my co-host for today, Taylor Phillip, and our producers at Quill, Inc.